Now, Niall Delaney with good conversation and where your opinion matters. Call with your comments on 0818 365 500 or text 083 3500 530. Ocean FM. Ocean FM. Ocean FM. The time on Ocean FM. Thanks to ohairs.ie, where you can now customize your perfect celebration cake online and collect it from your local bakery counter. O'Hares, born to bake. And you're very welcome back to Northwest Today. The time now is 11 minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock. It's the second hour of the uh, programme. And it's John Lynch and for Nile Today. Now, as normal, what we do at this time on a Friday is we look back on some of the stories and some of the big talking points from the week gone by. And joining us on the Friday panel this week, we're delighted to welcome Brian McHugh, formerly of the Sligo Weekender, and Sean Wynne, who would be known as an election candidate in this region and, of course, a teacher and former vice principal at Drum Shambo Vocational School. Many big talking points from the week gone by, as always. Maybe, Brian, we'll start off with one of the big stories that in many ways seems to be changing ever so slightly the narrative on this over the last um, number of days, maybe even number of weeks. And it's the attitude of the Irish people towards um, Ukrainian refugees and refugees coming into this country. We've got a housing crisis. We've got major issues in health at the minute. And there was a study published recently by Red Star on behalf of Virgin Media. And it definitely shows or claims that there seems to be a change in the way Irish people now are thinking a little bit more. Have we got the infrastructure? Can we take in unlimited numbers? We've got a major housing crisis here with people on housing lists, Irish people on housing lists waiting for accommodation as well. That there seems to be a, a little bit of shift in the whole attitude of the Irish people and the land of the thousand welcomes may not necessarily be the land of the thousand welcomes anymore. What's your views on that? No, I suppose, I don't know, is it, would you regard it as a change of attitude? It's not a change of attitude towards welcome Ukrainians or people from anywhere else, I suppose, but if you have a situation whereby... Yeah, no, I, say it's, it's, I don't think it's really a, a matter of a change in attitudes of people welcome Ukrainians... Uh, I would hope that we are still the land of the thousand welcomes. But if you have a situation whereby in a small area overnight or within a few days you hear that the population of the village or the parish or whatever is going uh, maybe doubling in size without any word of uh, how these people are going to be catered for or is there going to be medical uh, facilities for them? Uh, is there going to be local, is there going to be public transport board, sport for them? How are they going to get around and all that? Um, you can see where people would be concerned or worried, is it going to work? Um, so basically, I suppose, if these people know in a bit in advance that uh, what's happening and how is it going to be made work, is there been a, an extra doctor provided in local surgery or is there you know what's the story with buses or how just how is it going to work mm. now i suppose the, the 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 argument against that is that if it's publicized too long too much in advance that you will have people uh coming in from the outside exploiting that situation and that's a very interesting yeah. point there's a small minority there at the moment that are going round almost area by area spreading what many people would claim as lies I was listening and watching an interview with Fran McNulty and Simon Harris last night 
and he says there's a small cohort that are very much intent on causing trouble for people arriving in this country. Well, there is that same small cohort that um, uh, uh, anti everything that uh, we'll say that that led the um, anti COVID thing uh, far you know far right element. I actually personally some years ago had experience of. Uh, uh, been verbally abused by somebody who would uh, be, I suppose, considered uh, an activist in that far right group. I was working for, uh, not working for, but volunteering for a local charity in a um, public place in Sligo. And this person from Dublin, uh, who I never met before in my life, come and accosted me and she had some issue uh, with what we were doing. And um, so I know what I know what you're up against with mm-hmm. these people, and uh, they will exploit any situation. And then they have social media for spreading, uh, I wouldn't say lies, but half truths and trying to stir it's the a, pot. It's an unregulated platform, yeah, and it's yeah. a very and it's a very good point and, uh, that, very that you're making. You know, they can very difficult people yep. to to work with. As I discovered uh, to my expense with a, a lady yesterday when I was out giving me time, uh, along with another member of our, our charitable organisation. Uh, trying to do a good deed, we were uh, verbally assaulted, you could say, by a person that is involved with, uh, with that element. All right, OK. Well, you've had personal experience on it. Sean, th- there's no doubt about it, it's very much a hot topic at the minute. The infrastructure, the demand for housing, and again, unfortunately, you know, there is, a, uh, I suppose, a, a cohort of people out there that are hell-bent on making life difficult for anybody that arrives here. We're seeing with some of the rallies that are taking place. Well, John, first of all, you know, the amount of Ukrainians that would have been taken into Ireland would be equivalent to what France with a population of 40 million and like the vast area of France as a group. So, I mean, it was unfortunately women and children and because of the situation that was arising in the Ukraine that there was sympathy and support for that. And it was supposed to be a short war. So I think a lot of people felt that this would be quite, you know, to be over one way or another quite quickly. But this could be another Syrian situation where it may go on for years. And I think, as well, Brian outlined all the issues, is that there's a frustration. And, like, putting it down to the far right, you could spend the entire day having a discussion on it. Because, you know, as a former member of Fine Gael, not that time behind, there were the blue shirts and there was a section within Fine Gael that would have been to this day known as blue shirts. So you might get some radio comment and that's someone that I might have sent out notices when I was constituency secretary that might want to comment on that. But so far right is, you know, an easy label that you can put on people. I'm not saying that I think it's more extreme position, an extremist as more than using right wing, left wing, middle of the road. Could I, put, could I put the point to you as well, Sean, that an awful lot of this now is where initially there was a, a lot of appetite there to accommodate these people, help these people that were fleeing the war. Now it's dragged on as you've mentioned here. It's not a short war by any means. We're looking at a situation where it's impacting the local tourism sector. There's very little accommodation available for tourism. There's, as a result of that, there's a knock-on effect on visitor facilities, on pubs, on restaurants. We're hearing 
regularly as well, even as late as this morning, that there are many accommodation providers for Ukrainian refugees that are owed six-figure sums when it comes to outstanding money. The communication around the issue has been a problem from day one. So there's a, a lot of contributing factors here that has shifted the narrative. Well, you see, first of all, it, it is a war situation. The, you know, the families are coming to Ireland from the Ukraine are coming from a war. But on the flip side of that coin is another cohort of economic migrants who are leaving their countries for whatever reason, you know, coming in as economic migrants in to see the EU as a better and I mean you can't argue if people want to come. Some would say they see a better opportunity uh, here. Absolutely and that if the social welfare benefits was very well an Anne Lawler back on RTE about on a Friday morning on Morning Ireland where one of the migrants uh, that that was representing refugees clearly outlined about the right to a house, the right to, he was quoting EU regulations and the whole World Health Organization regulations and that they weren't being treated fairly. So, you know, on the flip side of the kind, the people that are coming in as economic migrants are looking at it as, a, you know, that this, while it's an opportunity, they're not getting their fair play. So there's a frustration then that, you know, Brian or Sean or whoever goes down to the local health centre and it's booked out because the local health centre can no longer take any more bookings. And whether it's schools or whether it's housing, as you mentioned, like the list is endless. But the the fact is that there's nobody taken and I don't think it does, it will cause... If I was to make a prediction, if they go with the narrative of about the far right without defining what the far... I could twist that around in a couple of seconds. That if, if there is an extreme position, I think the word extreme position, and says this is... We have... I mean... Only last Friday they were talking about the national debt being 250 billion. I mean, in pre-2008, it was 25 million and everyone was saying, you know, how can we pay that out? About 45,000 for every man, woman and child in the country. So there, there is financial implications of this. And the government, instead of passing legislation, should be governing the country, not passing more like legislation and blaming it on the far right if there's something wrong. All right, OK. There's a lot of problems there that's not going to be sorted out you feel in a hurry and it's one that's going to run for quite some time. Let's maybe move away a little bit from the whole Ukrainian situation and maybe look at what was definitely a huge traditional figure and a historical figure in Irish politics. Bertie Ahern, back in Fianna Fáil, uh, his, his party membership now confirmed over the course of the last week, coinciding with the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. There's speculation, Brian, that it's step one in Bertie Ahern perhaps launching a campaign to become a future president, that he's going to have a shot at the Irish in the future. How do you feel about Bertie being back in Fianna Fáil? Well, I, I suppose it, it, it's up to the party, obviously. He has paid his 20 euro a membership or whatever it is, and he's a member of the Drumcondra Commonwealth branch, whatever they call it. Um, now... He's nearly, he, he's 71, nearly as old as myself, but not quite. And he's not exactly new blood in the, in the organisation. Um, I, OK, I suppose from Fianna Fáil's point of view, it's nice to have him on board for the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement 
and all and I, I think that's probably the main reason mm. Manny would say as well Brian that they need him in Dublin to revitalise and rejubilate the party up there yes but I mean uh, the people who um, um, three and four are losing votes to in Dublin I don't think maybe I'm wrong but I, I don't think they're going to be too excited again about uh, an old guy at 71 coming in uh, to set the set the, the Fianna Fáil uh, an injection of enthusiasm into it. Now, the other point you raised, as he is I under Aris, I don't think so. I would be very surprised because as we, okay, he's a, he's a good character and he has a lot of charisma around him, but there is the history of the uh, Mahan Tribunal which didn't come well out of by any means. Now, as we've seen in the last uh, presidential election and previous ones, uh, candidates who are um, standing for election come under a huge amount of scrutiny. And you can imagine him uh, being on a podium on television uh, and um, all sorts of things being brought up. And his skele- skeletons in the closet would, well, would, you know, would how definitely come, surface. How come uh, that um, US Minister for Finance and he didn't have a bank account he won, he won money on horses, etc., etc. Uh, so I don't think he would subject. Well, I don't think Fianna Fáil would subject themselves to that, and I don't think Bertie himself would uh, subject himself to that sort of thing. Yeah, that scrutiny uh, at this stage in does, his career. Does he like that at the stage of his life? Yeah, uh, I I don't think so. Okay, but we, time uh, time will tell. Wrong, time will tell. Time yes. will tell. It's interesting points that you made there, and Sean, you'd have to agree agree with a lot of what Brian is saying. Probably at this stage the scrutiny that Bertie Ahern would be under if he did decide to run for the Irish would be magnified now, maybe more so than ever, in presidential elections with the whole social media onslaught. And where he's seen almost as an Arthur Daly-type figure in some circles, a lovable rogue, if you want to call him that, there are those that would have memories of the financial crash in 2008. They would have linked Fianna Fáil for having been in power for a substantial period of time before that, and old wounds are hard-healed. Well, let me say, first of all, is the man is now deceased on National Airwaves, a banker, a prominent banker of one of the serious banks that caused it, said we need regulation, but we need light-touch regulation. And I think that the greatest question mark over... You know, a man that won three general elections in a row, you know, you can't, you have to give credit to whatever his ability or the lack of ability of the opposition because that could be a measurement as well. It wasn't that the, the, the Fianna Fáil structure was that particularly good. It was that the opposition was so poor. And maybe the media was going with a winner. So you always go with the winner. And if Brian was ahead of Sean at his election, then, you know, that's how, that's the, simp- the simplicity of it. But, you know, what the aftermath of Bertie leaving after the tribunal and the 67 billion of this overnight being taken that people have to understand that this private debt was taken on the national on our books as they we call it the state or the corporation and that's people won't forgive that easily because people who had loans out were pursued by the banks then you know we had the follow on to all of that and the consequences that I think there's 27,000 still distressed loans out there and because using the comment light touch regulation so he failed 
as the leader of the country, you know, when we're so brilliant at passing all this legislation and calling in the, mm. gov- the governor of the bank, of and then I know nothing. It's like a cartoon. And, and are nothing. we guilty? And, and I know I've steered this conversation and this debate very much in, in relation to the Mahan Tribunal, but in many ways are we guilty here of overlooking the legacy that he's left to this country in the form of, and the role that he played in the Good Friday Agreement, Sean? Well, no, well you can't take away, you know, this, he, he, like, his background would have been union negotiations and he would be an excellent negotiator. But he was also took on the role of the leader of Fianna Fáil, which became the Taoiseach, who was in office for three terms. And, well, not quite the third term, but he was there a considerable period of time. And, like, the warning signs were there that the, you see, it was brilliant. Uh, Lynch construction built, uh, we're saying that we're here in Kaluni today, built uh, 20 houses. And the idea was sell it off at 300,000, 100,000 towards the development cost, 100,000 virtually for the government in all sorts of taxes and all of that, and then 100 for the developer. And you were all the Bryans and Sean's was to buy all these houses at 300, even though their wages couldn't justify it. And that was the flawed economic policy. The, the, The point I'm trying to make it maybe the good that he did through the Good Friday Agreement should that be taken into consideration? Oh, well, certainly, in the interest of fairness to anybody, I mean, it would be wrong to take away that you know he he did make a contribution at the particular time, but they saved th- th- thousands th- of lives. You could yeah, argue. yeah, but but it was already drifting in that direction. There was, uh, you know, I mean, the, like Lord Birkenhead in the House of Lords made the comment that one organisation that was causing a little bit of trouble got over a billion. And that never was reported on the Irish Nairies. All right. Okay, just to pick up on that point with yourself, Brian, as well, the role of Bertie Ahern, Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, people like that in bringing the Good Friday Agreement to where it got to, the lives that it undoubtedly saved, are we giving them perhaps too much credit or were the other central figures that maybe there that history isn't reporting enough of what they did? Well, I suppose it's, it started with the Hume Adams talks and it grew out of that and it was something that John Hume took an awful lot of stick for his negotiations with Jerry Adams at, at the time. But the two of them did, did kickstart that and it, it evolved and went on and Eventually, I say, we got the Good Friday Agreement out of it. And Bertie, as Sean has said, was uh, in, in, if, when he was Minister for Labour and he was involved with the trade unions and everything like that, he was a good ne- negotiator and good at trying to find the middle ground. And I remember uh, right in the middle when the talks were coming near a conclusion, his mother passed away and he went off to the funeral and came back to the Belfast the same day uh, and uh, was able to concentrate his mind on helping to get it over the line and you cannot you, we, we cannot forget that yeah. uh yes yeah so you have credit for us due but there is the other side too as uh, that was exposed in the Mahal man tribunal so you know it's the two sides of the scales and um we have we have to take look at both sides of well, the that's scales, it. Yeah. And, and, and history will judge and i suppose if he does decide to run for the Irish, the electorate obviously will have their their final say on that let's move to another major issue again which has been discussed at Cabinet over the last couple of days, and that's the cost of living supports for individuals, individuals, for families, for businesses as well. 
And Sean, the, we've had calls on this station on a continuous basis now for the VAT rate to be reduced for the hospitality sector and the tourism sector. Now, hotels were very much linked into that and the price gouging that went on when we came out of the COVID restrictions, particularly in Dublin, if there was a big event on like a Garrett Brooks concert or whatever, you could pay a small fortune. You could have bought a house for what you'd have been paying for a hotel room at the time. That seemed to anger Pascal Donoghue. And as a result of that, it seems everybody now in the hospitality and the tourism sector are paying the price here. All the indicators are that the rate is going to go back up to 13.5%. How damaging is that going to be, do you feel, for many small businesses in tourism over the next number of months? Could one in five go, as Anthony Gray said here yesterday on the programme? Well, you see, first of all, is that it's Dublin you're talking about in relation to it, and the pricing up there is serious. So when you come go west and you go beyond Maynooth, then it's a whole different world. And you see, the people making them decisions live in sort of uh, an ivory tower and they think it's only a matter of pressing a button and it moves from the present rate up to 13 or 13.5%. So, so this is another sign of a disconnect between politicians like Pascal Donoghue and the, and the vast majority of people outside of Dublin, you're saying? Well, the, the, it points that that's the reality of it, that they, they're under, uh, you know, they're, they're just plugging holes. If you equate it to a bucket and drilling holes, they just drill another hole and there's more water leaking out of the system and someone says, no, we should plug that one up again. I think there's too much water getting out. But overall, the the cost of running, if you just take, you know, just like the tourism sector, the health sector is to throw more money. But I would say in Scotland with a half million more people, you know, someone should know in the NHS in Scotland for a half million extra people to run their health service for half the the HSE and nobody all the opposition is talking about more money for we throw more money at the like equally you know and just taking because I just seen an article on it there where there's about 800 doctors going joining the uh, signing on getting a license number from the medical council but there's 1700 coming into the country to support that now surely a country should be planning ahead with the number of doctors that they require in their own medical service but you know it's just the same with it's more difficult to quantify the tourism sector mm-hmm. it's only at the end of the year when the VAT returns and all and it, it actually has slipped that and that there's jobs that you know John is running his little restaurant and he the has a reasonable jobs, time the Season, absolutely. Jobs, all those yeah, because they've three or four months of the year really you know from June to September and the domino effect kicks on from there Brian can I bring you in on, on that, we, we've spoken to Sean in good detail there about the the whole supports for businesses. Let's look at the supports maybe for families and for individuals at the minute. And time and time again this week, we've heard the argument from opposition politics that those most vulnerable, those on a fixed ra- wage, those who are on social income or social welfare, that social welfare isn't been indexed closely enough to the rise in inflation. And the most vulnerable are suffering here time and time again, and they need supports. In fact, even the Green Party are saying that any supports now has to prioritise those most in need. Yes, I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and I, I suppose it's one of the few things, probably the only thing that I might agree with the Green Party on, is that uh, supports should in some way be targeted at uh, people who need it. I mean, 
giving them uh, 200 euros of an electricity bill or whatever it is to uh, the most vulnerable in the country who are struggling, uh, choosing between uh, for the, to uh, eat a full meal or put oil in their, in their tank um, on one hand to giving the same amount to the richest person in the country, whoever that may be. Now, Ryan Tuberty comes into mind because he's been in news recently earning something like up to 500,000, I think 440,000 uh, from RTE. Is, I'm, I'm not personally against Ryan Tuberty. Okay, I don't like him as an interviewer. Uh, but anyway, that's getting away from the point. Um, two, two or 300 to him means nothing. But uh, money to the other people, I say, who are choosing between uh, food and 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 kerosene in in uh, in the food tank, fuel tank, uh, makes a huge difference. So I think it should, in some way, it should be targeted rather than what they call universal. Now I seen for the the other day, I think the revenue commissioners in some report or come out and saying, oh no, it's it's got to be universal. Uh, but they're probably looking at it from their own point of view because it's, they're going to have to be involved in some way at choosing who gets it and who doesn't and how it's going to work. But then again, I would say the revenue com- commissioners uh, are there, or the revenue officer they call nowadays, are there to uh, support the public. That's 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 their, their purpose. So I don't think their um, or attitude or consideration should be taken into it. Their job is to, to, to make it work. Would you have sympathy as well, Brian, for, say, the the hospitality workers and those who own small restaurants and the way input costs have gone up? Now they're looking at an increase in the VAT rate. Couldn't have come at a worse time, really. Well, absolutely. I mean, again, I, I, I suppose, as Sean mentioned, they have the um, the Dublin versus Every for Else divide. And going back to the uh, the VAT, I mean, OK, the, 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 the Dublin hotels spoiled it by gouging and charging the price of the house uh, to room, rent a room for a night with no breakfast as opposed to the small coffee shop on the corner which is trying to survive and, and hanging in there and then you have um, the pub trade which is nearly gone uh, especially I, I know in, in, in um, a town like Sligo I was in there two nights since Christmas really and I went into pubs that uh, over the Christmas period and uh, when in, we had a, a meal um, down the street, we went to um, it and, and moved up to what would be a normally a very, very busy pub that'd be jammed out the door and had one drink and got just 20, 20 past eight, half eight. There was nobody there, only ourselves. And we said, oh, well, the big crowd is going to come in any minute. Uh, at half eight, the barman comes up and says, are you near finished there, folks? I'm closing up. And this would be a pub that you would hardly get into be, before COVID. So, like, you've got the, the the people who own that pub, and and more you know, also, as you speak, the people who work there, where you know the, the, their their livelihoods are gone. So, anything that's going to uh, mitigate against uh, make that situation worse, uh, I, I think uh, we the government should have a serious look at it before implementing it. Okay, I want to move on to the next item, and I suppose we can probably group these two together. That. We've spoken already, I suppose, maybe about the the lack of hotel beds and Sean has already touched on it that there's going to be a domino effect on local jobs, on the local economy, on local restaurants, so on and so forth. And then we look at the other hand and when it comes to promoting tourism, one of the big avenues that's available for us to promote tourism every year 
is sending our finest politicians to the four corners of the world to promote Ireland Inc. on St. Patrick's Day. How do you feel about that, Sean, when you see every politician heading off now to places like the US, South South America, Asia, wherever, that all the politicians are going out there promoting Ireland? Is it money well spent or is it a junket? Well, again... There's probably no research to show, uh, you know, if you're in Minneapolis or Chicago or wherever, does it translate into, you know, a tourism influx into the, say, Kerry's, the Galway's or Donegal's or indeed, more importantly, Dublin. Uh, The thing is that uh, it's very hard to measure, but for one day, you know, in the world, in the annual calendar, that Ireland gets the amount of international exposure. And, you know, by and large, it's quite positive. And so, you know, is there people say, well, would I like to come to Ireland? But whether there's a politician there on the grandstand, uh, you know, uh, nodding as the per- people, would it just be the same if they weren't there? I'm not that sure, you know, does it? But it, the concept in itself is an excellent one that you, you're given international exposure, but do you need all these people running around? Like, I mean, if you had the, the head of the country or, you know, whoever at the a biggest parade, say, in New York or whatever. But beyond that, do you need them going to everywhere? But you never know in relation to business, the dinners that take place afterwards about setting up in Ireland, relocating or whatever. So it's very hard to measure that, the role of the IDA and Enterprise Ireland or False Ireland as agencies working below the level again that they can generate. Yeah. I remember you, a politician telling me, Sean, that, you know, it's a gruelling schedule, but the amount of networking, the amount of contacts that you make out there, it is worthwhile. Well, I mean, that's why I'd be, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to say it's a junkus and, you know, go with the flow of, you know, politician bashing but uh, no it would there would there is a more serious side to it and you know anyone that doesn't take that on board you know is is just having a cheap shot as whoever the politicians are going all right okay um brian your view on politicians now is going to be heading to the four corners of the globe on saint patrick's day an ideal opportunity for us to promote our country or maybe could we be doing it in a more cost effective and efficient way I suppose when you mention it, it brings back memories of a local character uh, called Martin Ford. He used to do a, a one-man uh, uh, exhibition in the St. Patrick's Day Parade, carrying placards opposing uh, politicians going abroad. And God rest Martin, he's no, he's no longer with us over the last year or the year before. But anyway, that's getting away. Um, I suppose Ireland is in a privileged position in having one uh, one day in the year that is recognised right around the globe as an Irish day, and uh, there's lots of country, you know, I, 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 probably no other country as small as Ireland, anyhow, that can make such a such a big Im- impact on a particular day. Now, in theory, it probably sounds a good idea to, to send our on, on, for that reason to send our politicians to around the world to exploit that or utilise it or whatever is the word. But is it working? Now, that's very hard to quantify, but I would ask the question, is it working? Now, when I, in my working days, I, I used to, I was in fairly regular contact with um, the local IDA people and IDA people at, at um, various levels from the Biani, um, 
foreign direct investment coming in or a new a new factory or a, 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 a new business coming in. And you've yet to hear them say, oh, they said they're coming because Minister X, Y or Z was in our city at uh, on St. Patrick's Day and we got talking to him and he really convinced us that Ireland is a place to come to. I never heard that. Or I never heard that from any of the people, uh, the owners of the businesses that was coming in. Equally, uh, in my, I have to admit it, 73 years on this life, I've yet to meet a tourist uh, anywhere saying, oh God, I came to Sligo, I came to Ireland, I came to Drumshambo, uh because uh, I, I met a politician on St. Patrick's Day and he, on, because of what he or she said to me, I, I decided on an island. So I don't think there's any evidence there. Well, I no, let, let's put it like this. I haven't seen any evidence that it's working, sending politicians abroad. And you have, as I say, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but this, this year they picked uh, Eamon Ryan to go to, I made a note right there, China, Singapore and Shanghai. Now, I ask you, uh, will Eamon Ryan's visit to those places result in one extra business, one extra job, one extra tourist uh, coming to the northwest, Sligo, Domshambo, Manor Hamilton, Donegal? N- no. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting point. I know, I know, Sean, you want to come back in on this and maybe if I could just put throw it out there as well in the few minutes that we've got left. Here we are sending the politicians out to try and bring people in, but there's no probably hotel beds for them to sleep in when they get here. Well, true, but following on what Brian has said about Eamon Ryan, I think, you know, when you talk about him standing up in the doll and talking about, you know, worried about global warming and climate change and all of this sort of stuff, he comes along and he's all of that flight time. Air miles, I think it would be an excellent idea if he was given a sailboat or just like... Uh, the Swedish girl who they sailed across and the guy who sailed the boat across from Sweden to the UN to give the address uh, got on a plane and flew back and let the crew sail the boat back to Sweden afterwards. So there's a lot of his hypocrisy. Like this is a man that's talking about air miles. And he's lectured and everybody have grown their lettuce and all their, their vegetables in a window box. I, you know, the, the, but this is how dangerous it is for the country. Yeah. If there's enough people listening to with the percentage of the vote that the Green Party has got and they are wagging the tail, people don't take it serious because in the case of Leitrim, only going back to their previous time in government when John Gormley was the Minister for the Environment, the consequences of the legislation that he enacted in relation to one-off houses is clearly showing why, I mean, two years ago, there was only six one-off houses being constructed because of they came up with the soil and the absorption rate of water, the mm. drain. Percolation. Percolation, so that's correct, John. So the answer to it is that at a particular time, like just what he's talking about, the reform of agriculture, I know I'm going away long way from, from, from the hotel beds, but... The 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 policies of the Green Party have 
a global impact on on Ireland in the in the longer term and like him running round the far east telling about how, how good he is and if he as I say if he's that good he should get a sailboat right. and sail to it now I know the Green right. Party are probably going to come back and they're going well, to say I, that I he's he, do, and I'd love to come back John with anyone that would yeah. like to come on from well, the Green well, Party well, well they will it. argue that he's got various commitments as a minister that he must attend and it's time sensitive well, but Greta, I take on board your well, point well, though Greta Thornburg could take it to sail from Sweden to the UN yeah. for the so, Alright, yeah. okay. It's an interesting point. Um, no hotel rooms, Brian, if, if we do get um, visitors to come in on the back of these ministerial visits to the US or China or wherever. How damaging is that going to be long term for the entire tourism and hospitality sector here that we're not going to have beds to put these visitors into when they get here? And we, in the northwest, we have a disproportionate dependency on the tourism sector maybe compared to other parts of the country. Well, Okay, I, I don't know how many uh, refugees or Ukrainian people are forever in local hotels. I, I, I really don't know that fact, but I think we've got to try harder to find alternative places for them. And one thing that struck me on the news last night was, I, I, I nearly fell off the chair when I heard it, that Bagot Street Hospital in Dublin uh, could accommodate 800 beds. And okay, they seem to be saying yes, That's a, the powers to be seem to be saying yes, that's a good idea, but we're going to have to do a feasibility study on it, and that feasibility study alone is going to take nine months to complete. Now, the architect on, and he said, look, at, I would be able to go in and look at that building, and in two days I would uh, be able to recommend what changes needs to be made. Uh, a fraction of to, the cost, uh, I'd argue as well. In, and in two days, he reckons. I mean, it's bureaucracy gone mad. Yeah, that's a big and, problem. Uh, okay, that's in Dublin now, but there may be similar situations on a smaller scale locally, where there are vacant business buildings, publicly owned business, business buildings, or whatever, uh, that could be utilised. Um, so, as a if bureaucracy could be move aside a wee bit. Yes, uh, it could work, it could work wonders. Okay, Sean, if we can just throw one point out to you, and I've seen the suggestion being made as well, now albeit I think it was private schools, that schools could be used during the summer months to house refugees. Would that be workable? I think, you know, it, that's a complete off-the-wall job. You know, that's a fruitcake operation. You know, they've lost the plot completely. But I would say about what you said, you know, about back, eventually getting back to the point about the the hotel beds, that the... From between 21 figure when Dr. Tony Hoolan had everybody locked up on the islands to last year, most businesses seen a 45% drop off in their business in the tourism sector. So, you know, because the likes of the Spains and Portugal's had to get people back. There was fantastic packages. And there was a massive, which you heard about on uh, at Dublin Airport, that the people were... So if that's true, then your hotel, your insurance has gone up. I know one particular hotel owner, owner that pre-COVID, it was 38,000 and he was quoted... Uh, again uh, last year for 72,000. So, you know, there is uh, serious implications for the entire economy. It's not just, you know, when you take it in isolation, but if, if we, you know, we're, it's, we're constantly, even just this morning, of being talked up about that the, all the inflation is going to 
peter out by the end of the year and we'll be back to where it is. But tell that to anybody going into the local grocery shop today or going to the hardware shop. If there's any building going, I know of a lot of buildings that has been deferred because, and they have gone up anywhere between 15 and 25%. And they've been, I'd be surprised if you got any calls in to say that that's, you know, off the wall. No, 10%. no, it's, it, it's well known and well, well accepted at this stage. Input costs rising significantly. Would you believe it? We're out of time to Brian McHugh. And one final point, Brian, I know there's a fundraiser that you want to mention. Exactly. I read the word, I forget it. No, yeah. I'm just very briefly, I'm involved with the Stagger Branch and Irish Kidney Association. It's a cause close to my heart. And um, in conjunction with um, the Stale Emporium in Grattan Street and uh, Dimpton Manion, uh, we're doing a, a bit of a fundraiser and publicity day there on her final day of trading, which was on Saturday, March the 4th. March the 4th. She has genu- uh, generously um, uh, agreed to give all our takings, I say all our takings on the day to the Sligo Branch of the Irish Kidney Association. So I would encourage people to drop in, even to say hello to us. We'll be there all day uh, and um, drop in and give a, a few bob to the Irish Kidney Association. Okay, well said and a, and a very noble gesture indeed. Brian, Sean, thank you both indeed for joining us in studio. That's it from Northwest today for this week. Margaret Carr Flynn produced the programme. Niall is back just after nine on Monday morning. And from myself, John Lynch, and all of us here on the show, a very good morning. Ocean FM. Northwest today, thanks to mybuildingsupplies.ie. Your one stop shop for all your building needs. With experts here to help you with any project, big or small. We pride ourselves on providing high quality products and unparalleled service. See mybuildingsupplies.ie to see what we can do for you. Ocean.